Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back and it has been a packed, packed week of fights over the last seven days. The UFC, well, the last eight days, if we're being honest. The UFC were down there in Jacksonville, Florida, with not one, not two, but three fight cards down there in Florida as the UFC became the first sporting league in America to bounce back from the coronavirus. We will address that on this week's show while also looking back on some of the highlights of the, the midweek event, UFC on ESPN Plus 29, and last weekend show, UFC on ESPN 8. But before all of that, let's introduce you to the, the other half, the better looking half of the Brit Pack, Shamakar Sandu from over there in Toronto, Canada. How are you, buddy? I'm good, mate. I'm good. And it's been a busy week, so I'm not going to lie. And it's kind of for the very first time felt like what it was like before the pandemic just you're busy you're working you've got things to do and especially for us in the mma space no fights especially no ufc events and it tends to have a trickle down effect with regards to how much work you've got and you know, what gigs you've got whether you get paid so uh, i think on behalf of both of us we're both thankful that the ufc did come back put on three events because it meant we were we were busy, which was good, and we've got lots to discuss, lots to talk about, tons of stories and fights to react to, and I can't wait to get in in it with you today. Yeah, it has been. Uh, it's good to be actually talking about real fights. Um, it's been it's been kind of up and down for me. It's been obviously having the two main gigs that I have. I write for MMA Junkie and I also write for RT Sport. I actually lost a gig this week, believe it or not. Um, one of my other smaller gigs sort of fell by the wayside, but grateful for the big ones that I've got and uh you know the one that did fall away they're hopeful that that might come back in the uh in in the coming months but that's the world we live in right freelance writers and you know working in this space and and it is difficult and I know that there are colleagues of uh colleagues of ours out there who 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 have lost gigs this week who are outstanding outstanding members of the uh the MMA media who uh we hope will be back in back in the mix very very soon um and you know having fights back on the screens is is obviously something that will be very helpful to us all over the long run so uh, fingers crossed things start to pick up but we've got loads and loads to talk about on this show sandu so let's let's just kick things off and kind of do it chronologically really let's look back at last wednesday night midweek fights you don't normally get those unless we're watching the contender series which uh you never know we might see that come back in the not too distant future but we had a full on ufc fight night event ufc on espn plus 29 at the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville. Glover Teixeira taking on Anthony Smith. And my goodness me, I I think we both picked Anthony Smith for that fight, but Glover Teixeira proved that he's still very much a factor in that division. Um, but it was a fight that, in the end, proved to be quite hard to watch by the time we got to the end. I don't know how you felt, Sandy. Yeah, I concur completely. The, the fight should have been stopped. Now, we can get into with, with regards to whether it would have been the corner, throwing the towel in, or perhaps referee Jason Herzog calling off the action, you know, perhaps at some point in the third round, but definitely in the fourth or fifth until the fight eventually was stopped late in the fifth round. But I think Anthony Smith took way too much punishment than he should have. In my opinion... I don't know what it is about MMA, but in boxing, we see the, throw, the, the towel getting thrown a lot more often. And I, I guess the, the, the best example of that in recent times is the, the Deontay Wilder fight, 
with with Tyson Fury. Deontay's corner through the towel in when they knew that their man was taking way too much punishment. The fight's over. It's just a matter of time. And they threw the towel in. In MMA, the only one that comes to mind, and only because it's like a high-profile situation, was when Nate Diaz for Josh Thompson and his brother Nick, Nick Diaz, threw in the towel. Now, it was a moot point anyway, because I think the referee had stepped in by that point in any case. But it just shows that Nick was willing to throw in the towel the minute Josh Thompson landed that head kick. The fight was done, it was over, even if the referee hadn't you know, stepped in to call, to call it off. The, the towel was thrown in and the fight was over. We just don't see it often enough in MMA. Uh, we actually see it barely at all. And I'd love to get your take on it with regards to whether you think the referee should have stepped in first or perhaps whether you think the corner should have stepped in first and, 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 and called the, the fight off. And then we can, of course, get into the aftermath in terms of what Anthony has said since, what Jason Herzog has said since, and, and all the rest of it. Yeah, I think, I think while the fight is in progress, I think it's the, it's the domain of the referee. I think, I think Jason Herzog's the guy in there while the fight is going on. I think he's the sole arbiter of whether the fight is stopped or not. I know the corner can throw the towel, but the referee decides whether the fight has stopped or not. And he's the sole arbiter of that. Um, so I think, I think in those circumstances, I think initially it's on the ref. Um, but then this wasn't a situation where the beating took place during a round and then the finish happened and it was just a late stoppage. We actually spanned rounds, didn't we? We had a situation where Smith went back to his corner his corner saw him at close quarters. They were talking to him and they obviously felt that he was good to go back out again. And I think at that point, the corner, maybe you can you can start to question whether they did the right thing by sending him out there again. Uh, and then obviously once the fight starts again, I think it falls much more in the realm of the ref. So I know the cornermen can technically throw the towel in uh, and the referee will always stop a fight if that happens. But I think that the burden of responsibility once the fighter was in the corner, I think the corner can have a really close-up look at him and make that call. And, and, and for whatever reason, they didn't. They sent him back out there again. I know fighters don't like having fights stopped. Um, you know, it's completely understandable. And uh, there was a, a very good uh, very good piece on, on MMA Junkie, an interview uh, that was done with John Hackleman, who was in Glover Teixeira's corner. And John has been criticised in the past, including by some of his own fighters, of stopping fights too early because he's someone who has thrown the towel in in the past and, or pulled people out between rounds. Um, and he says it's it's a very difficult balancing act to strike. Um, but me watching that, for, I think once you start getting uncomfortable with the amount of unanswered damage that's being, being dished out, I think if you start getting uncomfortable, then you've probably seen too much already. Um, and for people who have watched as many fights as as uh, as we have, and certainly people who have officiated as many fights as Jason Herzog has, and for the guys who who are cornering these fighters who have seen countless fights themselves, I would have liked to have thought that somebody would have stepped in and saved Anthony Smith a little bit earlier than they did. So, um, you know, he's lost a few. I, I don't know if he's lost teeth. He's lost veneers. I think was the uh, was 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 what said afterwards. It's irrelevant. He should. It's 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 the blunt trauma to the head that I didn't like seeing. And uh, grant granted, this is you know 
stock in trade in the sport, people smacking each other around the head. But the thing I do like about this sport is as soon as as soon as it gets too much, as soon as someone's not intelligently defending themselves, nine times out of ten or ninety nine times out of a hundred, the fight will be stopped. And Jason Herzog in general is an excellent, excellent referee. Um and I think he's come out and admitted that he's uh, you know, if he had that one again, he would he he would call it earlier. So um, yeah, I found it all a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I think Glover found it a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but you know, thankfully, and fingers crossed, there's no uh, there's no lasting damage as a result of that. Yeah, I mean, with regards to Jason Herzog, I commend him for coming out and making a statement because, to be honest, uh, Simon, and we know this, you know, very well. It's very rare for referees to do interviews and or make statements on their social media feeds, especially when there's a controversial bit of action in a fight or a stoppage or lack thereof or whatever the case may be. And while I absolutely agree that Jason Herzog should have perhaps, you know, stopped the fight, I'm kind of split. I still feel like the corner should have done their job because I don't know what you're looking for. You put your fighter out there again in the fourth round and then again in the fifth round and by the fifth round you must know you're you're down the scorecards you're, you're looking for your fight to give you something like a haymaker or or, or just like uh, a, a wild strike that'll knock Glover Teixeira out and in the first what minute to, to 90 seconds when you see that that's ha- that hasn't happened and Glover has gone back to dishing out punishment you, you've only got a couple of minutes just throw in the towel the fight's done. It's finished. What are you doing? And the thing with fighters, they're not going to blame their corner, you know. And Anthony Smith has come out uh, and obviously uh, defended his corner that they did the right thing. He, he's come out and said, "Hey, look, I'm the kind of fighter that will go out on my shield or come back on it." And every fighter's like that, male and female. They're all alphas, right? And I expect nothing less from fighters to say something like that. But that's why you have a corner to look after you. That's why there's a referee in the in the middle of the cage to protect you from yourself when the fight is done. So that was very unfortunate. Uh, I, I thought I thought you know it took away a little bit, in my opinion, from Glover Teixeira's fantastic performance. Right, this guy Simon, he's older than us. He's he's four. Well, he's, he's he's older than you. He's oh, okay. <laughs> I was. I was trying to protect you a little bit there. No, how, how old is he? He's 40. He's significantly younger than me, Sandu. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm, 40, <laughs> I'm 44 this summer. All right, well, fair enough. Well, he's older than me, Simon. He's a right? young lad. Yeah, go on. <laughs> he's, knocking um, on he's knocking on a bit, in MMA yeah. terms. He definitely is. Uh, but you've got to give respect. I mean, here he is, you know, at 40 years of age, and he's put together... A nice little win streak here, and he's capped it off with a main event win against Anthony Smith, and he's talking about you know trying to push for another title fight sooner rather than later, uh, which I don't blame him for do- for, for coming out and saying that. But uh, n- now that we've had that fight in the books, we've got Dominic Reyes out there wanting a rematch, Simon, clearly, and that, that's a big money fight at the light heavyweight division. Jan Blachowicz has put together a fantastic run as well. Now you've got Glover Teixeira, who's inserted himself into the mix. And perhaps the bottom of the list, you've still got Thiago Santos, who feels as though he won the fight against John Jones. He's wanting a rematch as well. 
And later on in the show, we'll get to the potential John Jones, Francis Ngannou, you know, fight or quote unquote fight. But if John stays at light heavyweight and is looking to defend his belt next, we've got a nice kind of list of contenders there. Who do you think is the most deserving, Simon? Who's put together the you know the best case to warrant getting a crack at John Jones and that light heavyweight title? I think you have to do the Dom Reyes rematch. If he stays at 205, I think John Jones has to face Dom Reyes again. That was a very, very, very close fight. I mean, that was probably the, the closest fight that John Jones has had since the first fight with Alexander uh, Gustafsson. Arguably closer. Um, and uh, I know a lot of people thought that um, Dominic Reyes won that fight. I actually thought that he, he'd done enough to win that fight. So I would, I would run that one back. Um, I think it's a rematch that needs to be made. Um, I think Glover Teixeira versus Jan Blachowicz seems like a common sense matchup to make at this point as well. Um, Tiago Santos is kind of a little bit out of the loop. I mean, he's 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 not fought for a while. I know he's been he's been uh, rehabbing injuries. Obviously, I know he picked up some nasty injuries against Jones, Um, and uh, so I think he'll probably need to go in there and. Maybe take on a, you know, a, a Corey Anderson or someone along along those lines, maybe, um, and uh, and then he's straight back in the mix as well. But I think the natural thing to do, I think, is for Jones to face Reyes again, get a definitive result there. Um, this is assuming he stays at two o five, and then have Jan Blachowicz take on Glover Teixeira, maybe September October time this year. Um, that would make a lot of sense to me. Um, and uh, have the winner of that move on to face whoever has the belt at that time, sort of towards the back end of this year, maybe sort of December time. Um, so if, if 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 we're looking at December time, maybe you bring that to share a fight a little bit earlier, uh, sort of end of the summer sort of time, maybe July, August, maybe, um, just to give you the turnaround time. But yeah, I think that's what I would do. I think uh, I think to share a looking at the win streak. I mean, he's got three out of four of those. Fights on his four-fight win streak have been finishes. Uh, Nikita Krilov is the only one who, who who took him the distance. And that was a close fight. But um, if you stop Anthony Smith, I think you deserve to be right up there. And he's been there. And, you know, since he fought Jones, which was a, a fair while ago now, he's he's put together some decent wins. And I think he deserves he deserves to be one fight away. And I think the Jan Blachowicz fight makes a lot of sense. So that's what I would do. What, what about you? Is that... Are you... Are you a Reyes rematch guy or do you think that he's had his chance and it should be someone else's go next no I completely agree with you Sai. Uh, I want that Dominic Reyes rematch you know as much as anybody else because I actually scored it for him I thought he beat John Jones but the question is what if John Jones moves up to heavyweight and again we'll get to the, the whole thing with Francis Ngannou next but if he does move up then what do you do at 205 because then you've got Reyes you've got Blahovic and you've got Teixeira and a little bit lower down the list you've got Santos do you do almost like a, a mini tournament with those four guys do you insert an interim title belt at 205 what do you do in that situation well I think it, it depends on what Jones does I know like Jones could move up and just take like a busman's holiday and move up to heavyweight but intend to come back down and carry on at 205 afterwards you don't know um, does he want to bit of champ champ money you know does he want to hang on to the 205 belt and go straight for the title at 265 so it depends on if he relinquishes the belt 
then I think the common sense thing to do then is to do Reyes versus Jan Blachowicz because Jan was there first. If you compare Jan and Glover Teixeira, Teixeira has just won his way back into the into the mix, if you like. Jan won his way there a little bit earlier. So I think he gets the first go at Dom Reyes, who for me is the clear number one contender at 205 right now. Um, and you fight for the vacant belt. If John plans on coming back, then yeah, I guess you could. You could sling an interim belt in there. Um, but yeah, I think Reyes versus Yan would be my, my first match. And then you do Glover versus Tiago Santos um, in the other matchup. And the winner of that ends up facing the winner of the interim title or vacant title fight. And then I think you've then got the division back up and running again. I think that I think that probably makes the most sense. But then you've got um, anti Rumble Johnson's knocking around. I, 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 you know, I don't know whether he he initially said he was going to come back as a heavyweight, and then he talked about coming back at two hundred five. So we don't know what his status is yet. Whether he's even in the USADA testing pool yet. Um, I think he was uh, timing his moment to to come back into the USADA testing pool. Um, and then he's got to be in it for, I think, six months before he can fight. So um, he might have been in it for two, three months, and we just don't know. Um, but once he's back in the mix, and if he's in the mix at 205, then uh, you can put him straight in there as well, because uh, I was there when he absolutely destroyed Glo- uh, Glover Teixeira. That was insane, that knockout of Glover Teixeira all the way back at UFC 202, which was uh, the Conor McGregor-Nate Diaz rematch. Um, in in Las Vegas, back in 2016, so I think I think he's back in the mix as well. But yeah, I think I think that's what makes makes the most sense. But you know, whichever way you slice it, Dominic Reyes has to be fighting for a belt next time he gets into the cage. That's my opinion, anyway. What I like about 205 is we've now seen John Jones really, really, really pushed. In years gone by, all we had to I guess um, reference was that one. Gustafsson fight at UFC 165. Apart from that fight, John Jones has steamrolled his way through the competition. But in the last year to 18 months, we've seen Thiago Santos really push him, right? And Dominic Reyes really push him, with some people out there scoring the fight for the the opposition in both instances. And now we've also got an, a healthy list of contenders at light heavyweight with win streaks and cases to be made. To, to fight for the title. And so much is now riding on what John Jones does next, whether it's move up and whether it's to stay at 205. Uh, it's definitely good to be John Jones because he's got lot, A, he's got lots of options in his own weight class, but he's created a mouth-watering prospect of an option at heavyweight for himself as well. But uh, I really like 205. I think for a while there, it was looking a little bit stale. Um, and I think of the bunch, Dominic Reyes is definitely the one that's broken through the best, just given his age, given you know what his potential ceiling is in that weight class. But at the same time, you still got some veterans. You got you got some guys that have been around the block who have you know put together a nice little win streak. For, for Teixeira, it would be a rematch. For Santos, it would be a rematch. For um, for Torres, it'd be a rematch. And, and rematches histor- historically tend to do better than the original when there's a compelling case to be made. So, yeah, uh, like you mentioned earlier on, I'm in, definitely in the Dominic Reyes uh, rematch camp if, uh, if if John Jones stays at 205. And the other thing to note is what Glover Teixeira, Anthony Smith even, Tiago Santos, Dominic Reyes, what they all have in common. 
John Jones didn't finish any of them. They they went the distance with John Jones. Tiago Santos actually won the fight on one of the judges' scorecards. Dominic Reyes remarkably didn't, although he won it on a lot of media scorecards. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, John Jones is winning these fights, but he's he's kind of game managing his way to some of these wins. And uh, you know, I think I think Dominic Reyes will will push him even harder next time round. Arguably, Tiago Santos will push him even harder next time round. And I think Anthony Smith, if he ever found himself in a position to challenge again, he's got a bit of work to do, obviously, after the Teixeira loss. Um, I know that he feels like he let himself down badly when he fought Jones first time round. So I th- I do think the fact that Jones isn't putting these guys away like he was when he was on the way up, I think that tells you that the, that the gap in terms of... Uh, at least ability to finish fights. The gap is closing. Jones isn't able to put them away the way he used to. Um, either that or he's just doing the bare minimum to win fights, which I find hard to believe. So, um, but yeah, we have more on John Jones coming up, coming up later in the show, Zandu. We absolutely do. And going back to controversial moments in a fight, uh, especially when it comes to referees, uh, stopping or not stopping, as it were, a similar situation occurred on Saturday night when the UFC had their, their third event in a week headlined by the demolition man, Alistair Overeem versus Walt, the big ticket Harris. The result was Harris being defeated by Overeem via second round TKO. Obviously a very emotional night. For, for Walt Harris uh, and anyone really involved in the sport who's been following his story uh, very emotional time for him you know give him all the kudos in the world for being able to check his emotions try and focus on the fight a fight that he perhaps was a few seconds away from winning in that first round um, what did you make of Alistair Overeem getting absolutely pummeled by Walt Harris and Big Dan Mergliotta essentially allowing Overeem to survive and, and kind of squirm his way back and then eventually make a comeback in that second round where I thought Harris had kind of gassed himself out in that first round and somehow in some way Overeem's chin kind of held together. He survived that onslaught and then was able to to turn things around and get that second round finish. Yeah, I think the thing with Alistair Overeem is... If you're a referee and you're going in there and you're refereeing an Alistair Overeem fight, you've got a large body of work that you can call upon if you're doing your research into a fighter's tendencies, how they react when they're hurt and things like that. And there's no doubt about it, Alistair Overeem was in big trouble early on against against Walt Harris. But what we, we have also seen from Alistair Overeem in fights is he has gone through the mill in the past and come out the other side um, and done well. And when he gets knocked out, like he gets knocked out properly if that makes sense like, like he gets knocked unconscious he tends not to be stopped while he's conscious if that makes sense he he seems to have a way of managing his way through tricky situations until he gets absolutely dusted um and uh, i think that might have been the case here i mean you know the referee he saw, he clearly saw that overeem was in trouble but overeem was at least showing signs of trying to trying to defend himself albeit while he was completely scrambled so I can kind of understand it. I can also, if if the ref had stopped it, I think it would have been very hard to argue against it. So in that respect, Walt Harris can count himself a little bit unlucky that maybe he didn't have himself a finish. But he didn't completely finish 
Alistair Overeem. Overeem, you know, there was still some fight left in him. And bit by bit, he worked his way out of trouble. And as Walt Harris's pace started to drop, Overeem took over. And uh, the way the fight eventually finished was kind of sad, really, because it almost looked to me like Overeem didn't want to hit him with those ground strikes. Because normally, when you're in a position like that, especially in a heavyweight fight, and someone's turtled up like that, People are raining down absolute, like monstrous blows at, uh, at a rapid pace. Um, just absolutely hammering away to get the ref to dive in and stop the fight. And over him, he was, while he was obviously landing heavy shots, it was sort of one heavy shot and then waited for a bit. And then another heavy shot and then waited for a bit. I think he was almost waiting for the ref to think, do you know what? Harris is doing nothing to change his position and get out of this. I'm going to stop. Um, and it took quite a few of those before it actually happened. So, again, arguably you could you could say it was a it was a late stoppage or maybe a slow stoppage if you want to put it that way. Because uh, Harris took some shots that I don't think he needed to. He sadly had he, I think he'd basically been broken by Overeem at that point, and he didn't have anything left. Um, and he took shots that he didn't need to take. But yeah, I mean, if you'd have had a referee with a little bit more of a a little bit more of a hair trigger, then uh, Walt Harris will be walking away with, with the biggest win of his career right now. And Overeem will probably be wondering what he's going to do uh, for the remainder of his mixed martial arts career. Because I think the next time he loses, that may well be the last time we see him in the octagon. Here's an interesting stat or factoid for you, Simon. Alistair Overeem now joins Alexei Olinik as the only fighters in UFC history to have scored... Oh, sorry, the only fighters who have scored or registered wins in the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and now the 2020s. Four different decades. They, uh, they take a licking, but they keep on ticking, as they say. Um, Alistair Overeem also cleared 400 grand. That was the, you know, of the reported payouts for that event. He was by a country mile out in front in terms of his payday. And you have to think that when he's commanding that kind of money, the UFC are only ever going to use him, you know, in those main event slots on these fight night cards or perhaps, you know, on a featured bout on a main card. And I feel like he's got himself back in a mix. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not saying he's going to go out there and, you know, defeat Miocic or a, a Cormier or a Volkov or maybe even an Nganu. But I feel like he's earned the right to say, hey, I am still around, I'm still in the mix, because he was only a few seconds away from winning in that Rosenstruck fight. And if that was a win, he'd, he'd be riding like a five-fight win streak right now. He has called for a rematch against Rosenstruck, which I actually don't mind, Simon. Um, obviously, Rosenstruck's coming off a loss, so he wants to bounce back, and you fight over him, you're going to guarantee yourself a main event slot. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, it's an interesting call-out. I think... I think Overeem is a very smart guy. Um, and, you know, we've both had the opportunity to chat to him when he's uh, had had big fights over here in Europe. And he's a very, very smart guy. He manages his career very well. Um, and uh, I think he's had a look at the division. And there isn't really that much for him to do above where he's ranked right now. It's not like he can call out someone above him that's an obvious fight for him. I think Jozino Rosenstruck... Um, makes a lot of sense given the landscape of the heavyweight division right now. So uh, Rosenstrike will want to get back in there as soon as possible. You know, he got he got flash knocked out super quick, 20 seconds by, uh, by, by Big Francis. So 
he'll want a bit of time to just clear the cobwebs and he'll be back in the gym again and he'll want to get back in there with the ream and have an even more decisive victory over him of course he was winning that fight almost from start to finish and um then got then got busted up in the last the last half minute of the fight really um i think that makes a lot of sense this is a fight that i don't think will ever happen but as a matchup, I would be fascinated to see Overeem versus Daniel Cormier. I just, I, the you know, two guys who have been in this game for a while, but Alistair Overeem's takedown defense is is pretty pretty good. I mean, he's been he's been around for so long. He's taken on a who's who, and uh, his ability to to control where the fight goes is up there with the best of them at heavyweight. So against someone like Daniel Cormier, I would be fascinated to see how he got on. Um, and uh, whether he could pick apart Cormier from range, especially using his kicks. But um, I, I suspect we won't ever get to see that matchup because of um, the uh, the situation with Cormier's career right now. He probably want, wants one more fight with Miocic, and that'll probably be it. But um, that's kind of a, a lost fight that I think you know we're going to wish that we saw one day. But yeah, the Jarzino Rosenstroke fight makes a lot of sense, I think. And um, a word on you know just a a quick word for Walt Harris. Um, I thought, obviously, it's very hard to talk about without sounding completely patronising. Um, but for him to get back in there and, and to to compete and, and to do as well as he did, especially early on in that fight, um, you know, huge, huge hats off to him. And uh, he was on a good run of form prior to, prior to everything happening in his personal life, you know, sort of tragic circumstances that he's had to deal with. Um, and... To even be able to come back after that is almost unfathomable to me. So for him to have come back is is enormous. So I just hope that he doesn't take this loss to heart too much, that he goes back, looks at the tape and realises, do you know what? I had that fight in the palm of my hand and I just couldn't quite close it out. Look at the positives of that and then bounce back because he had a wobbly start to his career in the UFC, but now he seems to be he seems to have hit a bit of a sweet spot. Getting beat by Overeem is no is no disgrace, and uh, I think if he goes back to the drawing board again, gets himself ready, comes back at the right sort of level, um, I think he can still make a run um, in the next twelve to eighteen months. And you never know; we might be talking about Walter Harris um, in a number one contender fight at some point further down the line. Yeah, well said. I thought he handled himself with lots of class and respect, and. Him and Overeem shared a nice little moment in the cage. You know, Overeem's a father as well. And it was a tough spot for Overeem. Just, you know, going, getting through fight week and getting to the fight. And it was almost one of those situations where I'm kind of glad there were no fans. Because, you know, Overeem, no fault of his own, would have just got booed out of the building for winning a fight probably. You know what I mean? Because Walt Harris would have been such a fan favourite. Everyone would have been cheering for him. And I think most people were cheering for him. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, you know... Pure class from both guys. Uh, and that was the end of the of, of three fights in a week, Simon. And I have to say, I thought the UFC did a pretty good job. You know, you had Jacare testing positive and uh, two of his cornermen. And uh, they caught it with the rigorous testing that they did do. Time will tell over the next kind of week to 10 days how everybody else fares in terms of you know, going back home, going back to their various cities, locations, and uh, whether everyone stays clean and healthy, 
um, and negative from COVID-19. But from an operational standpoint, from a health and safety standpoint, being you know governed by the Florida State Athletic Commission, it's a, I'm a, it was as close to a home run as I thought they could have done, given all of the circumstances. What did you think of the UFC, which essentially was the first real sport back since the pandemic hit? Yeah, I mean, I said this on on. Uh on another another um another show or on another column that I wrote earlier this week to be the first guys back um puts an enormous uh, amount of pressure on you as a company it puts an enormous amount of pressure uh, an enormous amount of pressure on Dana White as the as the figurehead of that company because all eyes are on them you know to be the first guys out of the cave is uh, so to speak to be the canary in the coal mine you know you're if things are going to go wrong the chances are it's going to go wrong on your watch because you're the first ones, the first ones out. You know, you're the ones who, you're the ones who are going to make the mistakes that the people who follow you are going to learn from, right? So to be the first ones out is a really tricky spot to be in, um, and under the circumstances, and we say this with a slight caveat uh, because it takes a while for people to know if they've if they've contracted something and whether they can trace it back to being in Jacksonville. But as things stand at the moment. It looks to me like they've done a pretty, a pretty good job. I mean, from a, from a television product standpoint, I don't think they could have done much better. I think they did an outstanding job. Huge shout out to John Anik. Um, anybody who knows anything about John knows that the level of preparation he puts in for a fight night is is just insane. And he had to do three of those in the space of eight days, um, and two of them in the space of four days. So. Just, just to get through that and broadcasting with different broadcast partners for each show, um, I thought he did an outstanding job. Um, but I think, I think from a TV standpoint, I thought it came across great. I don't think that I don't think the events missed the fans as much as maybe some of us might have thought they may have done. I think what it did, it, it turned the event into a much more, a much more intimate, intimate TV product. You could really hear the punches. You could hear the interactions between the fighters. You could hear the cornermen. Um, it gave it a, a completely different feel. But for a brand that once branded itself as as real as it gets, to kind of strip away a lot of the razzmatazz around it actually made it feel even more real. So I don't think they suffered that much from, from that. From an operational standpoint, um, it looks to me like they've, they've mitigated as much as they possibly could you know i think they conducted like 1100 tests or something over the course of the eight days um and they had one positive or sorry three positive cases didn't they they had jack around his two cornermen and they isolated them straight away uh and it looks as if that you know the measures that they put in place have meant that the the two shows that followed uh went off pretty much without a hitch so you know, slight caveat because we don't know for definite what the uh, the upshot is after this. But it looks to me like they've done an outstanding job and uh, they've set the bar, really. They've kind of set the baseline for anybody else who hosts a live event. Obviously, different sporting events have different feels. I know they're looking at doing golf. I think they might even have started doing golf. I think, um, I think Rory McIlroy and Ricky Fowler did some sort of charity event this week in Florida. Um the WWE are obviously doing what they're doing, but they're very internalized as well at, at the performance center. So there's lots of different things that you can take from this. NASCAR came back, 
um, this week as well. So they're gradually starting to bring sports back here and there. And I think the UFC have kind of set the benchmark now for how to do it as safely as possible during during these times. So thumbs up. I think they did a good job. And fingers crossed that they can get back to the apex in Vegas because once it's there, I think all the infrastructure is there to put on put on shows that look and feel even better than the ones we saw this past week. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned other sports returning. I think the Bundesliga, the German Soccer League, returned this past weekend as well. And uh, actually, on, on the weekend, I know the WWE has been running shows and their competition, All Elite Wrestling, AEW, they've been running shows as well. Had some luminaries from the AEW camp in attendance on Saturday night. You had uh, Owner. Uh, and uh, I guess Chief Booker, Tony Khan. He's essentially AEW's Vince McMahon, for those unaware. And you had Jim Ross in attendance on Saturday night. And they were tested. They were there to check out how the UFC were kind of you know running the operation. So, again, I think Dana Watt said this before in uh, his post-fight you know, press conference slash media scrum that a lot of other sports and figures and other sports leagues are reaching out to the UFC to find out how they're running things because I, th- I guess in some way, shape or form, they're giving some sort of blueprint. Are they giving a blueprint to team sports? No, but perhaps, you know, pro wrestling can take a leaf out of their book. Perhaps boxing can take a leaf out of their book. If Eddie Hearn wants to put on boxing fights in his back garden, maybe he can hit up Dana White and find out the blueprint in terms of making sure everyone's That's an outstanding and- story. <laughs> there have been there have been some mental stories about this. <laughs> Obviously, we, you know the uh, the Eddie Hearn back garden story. Uh, like he's he's done mock ups of how his garden will look with the ring and the media center and all this. This is great. You mentioned the Bundesliga. I watched a lot of the Bundesliga this past weekend, and yeah, there's no fans. It actually did all right. I mean, it helped that the two games I watched had loads of goals in. Borussia Dortmund were outstanding, and uh, I think the Bayern Munich game I watched as well. There were three goals in that. But in the Bundesliga, um, oh, who is it? Borussia Mönchengladbach, who actually played away from home this week. But this coming week, they're playing at home. At, I think it's called the Commerce Bank Arena. Uh, yeah, the Commerce Bank Stadium. Um, obviously, the fans aren't allowed in. So what they've done is, uh, there's a company out there who have basically said, okay, for 19 euros, which if you're listening in the States, is a it's about 18, 17, 18 bucks, I think. Um, you can have a cardboard cutout of yourself, like life-size cardboard cutout of yourself, and we will put it in the stands. And the money will go to local local charities, which, you know, good idea. Um, and different teams are doing this sort of thing. Anyway, uh, Bruce and mentioned Gladbach have sold 12,000 of these things. <laughs> So, so this coming weekend, if any of you have got access to the Bundesliga, whether it's in the UK where we, where I am on BT Sport, or whether it's um, or whether it's overseas, where you get it on uh, on ESPN, I'm not sure where it's what what channels it's shown on, uh, stateside and in Canada, but um, TSN or whatever. But um, look out for that. You, there's gonna be a there's gonna be one match played this coming weekend where there are gonna be minimum twelve thousand cardboard spectators watching the action. I don't know what happens when the ball misses and knocks a load of them over like bowling pins. So I'm gonna go and stand them all back up again. I don't know. But also, um, Belarus did in in the Belarusian league, who seem to be giving no shits about the coronavirus at all um, as a country. Um, they put mannequins in the crowd, and people could stick their faces on them. 
And in Korea, FC Seoul, I know this is an MMA podcast, but bear with me. FC Seoul in South Korea, um, they bought a load of uh, life-size mannequin dolls, or at least that's what they thought they were, and put them all in the stands holding placards supporting FC Seoul in the Korean K-League. Until some eagle-eyed fans spotted out that these weren't just regular mannequins; they were actually sex dolls. So that got <laughs> so, so so that got that got flagged, and then and you know the club have had to issue some sort of groveling apology to say, you know, we wanted to portray a family image, and uh, they put a load of they put a load of sex dolls in the stand. So yeah, weird stuff going on with the coronavirus and sport right now. But the UFC relatively free of weird stuff you know um they've just gone in there and done the business and 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 put on put on three pretty pretty good shows i mean 249 was outstanding sandy that's one of the that's one of the cards of the year i reckon so far i agree and just to put a bow on the ufc and the three events in one week i didn't know how much i've missed the fans uh and now that i've consumed three events I don't think I miss them that much because of everything else that we've had and everything else we get during these broadcasts. It's so much more intimate. Every single strike you're hearing, you're hearing the fighters talk back and forth. You're hearing the corners. Uh, I love how everything else is. It's almost like with with the crowds and the and the uh, the arena being so dimmed out and the spotlight just being on the octagon i don't know there's something about it it's not like the ultimate firehouse it's not like the apex there was just something about it that made it feel a little bit more raw and uh, like you said as real as it gets now don't get me wrong when fans come back it's going to be great because they do bring a fantastic atmosphere especially to big events title fights pay-per-views and all the rest of it but until they come back, I'll be absolutely fine with the way the UFC are putting on these broadcasts because we're getting so much more uh, or we're getting something different that we would normally get when there are fans in attendance. So I'm all for it. Definitely. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think I think uh, this is the way it's going to be for a while. So I think uh, I think get used to the sort of product that you saw on the TV over the last week and uh, hopefully we'll get these on, on a, a regular basis moving forward and you know, hopefully the likes of Bellator and one championship will be able to follow suit in the coming weeks and months as well. Something else to potentially look forward to, and we alluded to it a little bit earlier on in the show, Sandu. Francis Ngannou obviously destroyed Jarzino Rosenstroke in 20, 20 seconds at UFC 249. And, and last week on the show, I think it was, I talked about the fact that he's now a major headache for the UFC's matchmakers because... Who can he fight? You know, he wants the title shot, but he isn't going to get a title shot unless Stipe or DC somehow falls out. Um, and they're trying to make that fight. So assuming that fight goes ahead, front, but you know, big, big Francis is just the odd man out. You know, you can't feed him a lower ranked guy because he will do them some serious damage. Uh, Charles Sonnen did an interview with Sky Sports this week in England. And he basically said, he said, like the matchmakers have got a sense of responsibility here. Because he's not just knocking people out. He's he's absolutely destroying these guys. And he said there's only two people in the heavyweight division who can defend themselves against someone like him. And that's Stipe and DC. Anybody else is just cannon fodder. So given that, there's a bit of a problem with Francis Ngannou. What's he going to do? Is he just going to sit tight and be grumpy until the fight happens? Or is he going to have to find something else? Well, 
something else might have just fallen into his lap because Johnny Bones Jones has, uh, has chirped up and has hinted quite strongly that he wouldn't mind stepping up to heavyweight and taking on Nganu. And there's been a bit of a back and forth. And about 10, 15 minutes before we came online, Sandu, uh, Nganu tweeted sort of a, a slightly menacing looking picture of himself saying, uh, are you still there, Johnny boy, or something like that? So, I mean, like Nganu is clearly, clearly bang up for this fight. Uh, Jones has been criticising Nganu's wild striking technique. Uh, and Nganu's just, he has no shits to give whatsoever. He's he just, feed me John Jones and I'll show you what I can do. Do we want this fight now? Um, do we want this fight ever? Do we want it now? Does it make sense? Um, and uh, if you're John Jones or John Jones's manager, if you're Malky Kawa, and you you said yourself, John Jones is the man with options right now. Does it make sense to take the Francis and Garno option right now, or should he just be staying at two hundred five, clean house at two hundred five, and then move up and maybe take an instant shot at the gold, having cleaned out all of the two hundred five division? It's a tricky one. What do you think? It's a tricky one, but I think the answer is yes. In short, I think. It's the fight I want to see. I think it's a fight you want to see. I think it's a fight a lot of people want to see. And this, there's so many ways to break this down and dissect what's happened. Because it's not just the odd tweet. Like Francis Ngannou and John Jones have been going back and forth now for quite a number of days. You've had John Jones tweet. You've had Francis Ngannou tweet back at him. You've had John Jones go into Francis Ngannou's comments section they're breaking down speed and strength and reaction and timing and and you know fight IQ and and all the rest of it and it's and it's great because like the fans are eating it up the media is eating it up there's been a ton of you know headlines and stories already written about this potential fight then you've got the idea of you know fans have been wanting to see John Jones go up to heavyweight for years already. And yes, you can say, oh well, why don't we just wait, let him clean out the division? Well, here's the thing: he's been cleaning out the division. He's already knocked out and finished and submitted generations of light heavyweight fighters. And although some of the recent results may be a little bit below par for John Jones's standards, and you may not agree with the decisions. Maybe and you know, the way I've kind of dissected it is: Look, is John Jones at two o five maybe losing a step as he gets older? Is he perhaps losing a little bit of speed? At the same time, are fighters beginning to figure out how to beat him or how to at least compete with him at two o five? Whereas if John Jones goes up to heavyweight, all of a sudden, although he's got the frame of a, of a big guy, he'll then still be the lighter, the quicker. Of the fighters, when you compare him to a Francis Ngannou, when you compare him to a, a Stipe Miocic, and if he fought DC, I'd, I'd favour him again because he's already, you know, uh, beaten DC in the past. But it's this, it's this prospect of John Jones going up to heavyweight, and then on the other, 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 on the other side, you've got Francis Ngannou, who, like you said, he's been knocking out guys left, right, and centre. He's a scary, scary guy, and of course, Francis wants this fight because can you imagine? If you're the guy that absolutely obliterates the guy that many consider the greatest of all time, the guy that hasn't lost a fight, legitimately lost a fight, he should be able. The UFC should be able to promote John Jones as an undefeated fighter. Imagine if you're the first one that knocks him out, and that's on your highlight reel. 
with or without championship gold, you've already cemented your legacy if you ever did that. So that's all interesting. But ultimately, and my biggest takeaway is if you dissect the back and forth between these two guys, it's coming down to the money. Francis Ngannou says he wants this fight. John Jones has said, send the deal. But what is the deal the UFC would send? Dana White said in his post-fight press conference, he doesn't think that these two guys really want the fight. So there's a lot of jockeying for position. There's a lot of politics being played out in public comments already. And it hasn't even been a week yet since these guys have been going backwards and forwards. But I give the two guys credit. What they have done is they have peaked fan interest. It's all anyone's been talking about for a number of days now. And it's the onus is now on the UFC and Dana White to see if this is a fight they can put together from a financial standpoint. Because I think both Francis and especially John Jones, I mean, he's put it out there. This for him is super fight money. Now, what does that super fight money look like? We don't know because John Jones has been clearing some pretty big checks for a long, long time. But um, and, and, and also, I think if he went up to heavyweight to fight Francis Ngannou and beat Francis Ngannou, I think his days at 205 would probably be long gone because that's your launch pad to go straight into a title fight against the winner of DC and Stipe. So this whole thing is very fascinating when you break down all the various layers to it. And I don't think it's going to be simmering down anytime soon. I think this is going to be a story that's going to be something we discuss and talk about for weeks to come. Yeah, I mean, from a, a just a, a style matchup point of view, I would love to see it. Um, I also think from a tactical point of view, if you're John Jones, I think you stay at 205. And maybe you use the Ngannou fight to get a bigger payday against Dom Reyes. I think, I think, yeah, you want mega bucks to face Francis Ngannou. Moving up a weight class against this absolute knockout machine, you're gonna want you're gonna want them to bring everything, bring all the monies for that one. And the UFC might say, well, look, we can't do that yet. We can't do that. We haven't got fans back. We aren't going to get a gate for this. So at which point Jones can turn and say, all right then. If you can't do that, do this. Shave a bit off uh, and give me Dom Reyes. And so you end up facing Dominic Reyes on a bigger payday um, at your natural weight class. Um, and then you get the chance to set the record straight there at 205. I'd love to see it at heavyweight at some point, though. I mean, I was always fascinated at the prospect of John Jones facing Rumble Johnson, and we never saw that. Um, you know, they were booked and then it didn't happen. But... I would love to have seen that fight for a very similar reason uh, to why I think people would enjoy seeing him take on Francis Ngannou. But um, obviously Ngannou is even bigger, even stronger and even more terrifying than possibly Anthony Rumble Johnson. Uh, that's a heavyweight fight I'd pay to watch, by the way. Rumble Johnson versus Ngannou at heavyweight would be fun. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just think the common sense move here is to stay at 205. If John Jones says, do you know what? I'm done with 205. Let's just do this. I know I can beat this dude. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to beat Ngannou. And then I'm going to beat the champ. If Imagine he goes in there and beats Ngannou. And then DC beats Stipe. Do, does DC hang on for one more? Just one more to beat John Jones at his natural weight class rather than having to kill himself to get to Jones's weight class each time. I've always thought that Cormier's best chance of beating Jones has been at heavyweight. Because I know Cormier struggles to make 205. So Cormier at heavyweight is a different a different animal. So I would love to see that. I would love to see that. 
But for that to happen, Jones needs to step up now and have a signature win, arguably, over someone like Ngannou to then say, go in, beat Ngannou, and then say, come in, in DC, let's see what you got. Let's do it one more time for old time's sake. And uh, that would that would just be the ultimate. That would then be the biggest the biggest fight in UFC history, probably. So, um, but yeah, sensible Simon says face Dominic Reyes. Crazy, crazy Simon says go in there and face Francis and Garnu and show everyone that you are the best fighter to ever to ever grace the octagon. But the risk is massive, so you need the payday to go with it. And I'm not sure if the UFC with no fans right now and having had no fans since since March. I don't know if they're going to be in a position to stump up for that just yet. Yeah, it's definitely a risk versus reward here. And what's fascinating is just earlier on today, there were some betting lines available for the first time on a potential John Jones, Francis Ngannou fight with a caveat that the fight has to take place in 2020. And John Jones is the betting underdog right now against Francis Ngannou. So I've got a question for you, Simon, and I and I and I and I want you to give me what you think would be the most dangerous fight for John Jones to accept right now are the following three options. Number one, Israel Adesanya moving up from middleweight to light heavyweight and fighting John Jones at 205. Option number two, the rematch against Dominic Reyes at 205. Or option number three, fighting Francis Ngannou at heavyweight. Of those three scenarios, which fight do you think would have the, the biggest chance of John Jones losing or the most likelihood of John Jones losing on the, in those three set situations? That's a really good question because I was all ready to give you an answer straight away when you said which one's the most dangerous because it's pretty obvious which one the most dangerous one is. Standing in front of Francis Ngannou is bad for your health. So I, I think from a danger perspective, it's Francis Ngannou. But if you're looking at... Um, it's oh, That's a really tough question. I mean... Dominic Reyes arguably beat him before, but he has now fought Dominic Reyes. And I think John Jones tends to do better in rematches. So um, so you could argue that he's in a better position to beat Reyes second time around. Israel Adesanya, I think, would be a very interesting matchup. And that's a fight I would love to see. Um, I don't know if Adesanya might be slightly overmatched in terms of the size, though. That's my only, my only concern. Adesanya is bigger than bigger than uh, the most from a height and range perspective at middleweight. But John Jones is a big guy. He's got like an 84-inch reach. I think that's the biggest reach. The only guy with a, a reach that's close to that is Ngannou himself. I think Ngannou's got like 83 or 82. So, um, But yeah, I'd be interested to see that. Um, I've got to say the one that presents the most, the most risk is probably the Ngannou fight because... I could see Jones. I don't think Israel Adesanya is going to knock out John Jones, at least not not early on. I think if if that happened, it would be over a, a lengthy period during which time I think Jones could could potentially take control of the fight. Dominic Reyes gave Jones everything he could handle in the first fight, didn't put him away. Francis Ngannou could knock him out with one punch. Um, and while from a, an all round MMA technique standpoint. He is argue. I think it's fair to say the least skilled of the three. Um, I also believe that his ability to turn someone's lights out. He wouldn't even have to catch Jones clean, and and it would be night night time. So, I think I think Francis Ngannou is is the one that poses the biggest risk. 
Because the other thing, of course, is Jones has the size advantage over Adesanya. He's pretty much even with Dom Reyes, but he'll be conceding anything from about 20, 30 pounds possibly to uh, Francis Ngannou uh, on, on, on fight night. So um, I think I think the, the deck is stacked against him, uh, against Ngannou and uh, just that punch power. Jones could just wrestle him for five rounds. That's entirely possible. But every fight, every round starts standing up and Ngannou only needs to hit you once. So I, I that having sort of strung it out far too long, I'd say Francis Ngannou, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I, I think the Ngannou fight would be the most dangerous and, and the the likelihood of him losing would be, the chances of that would be very, very high in my opinion because I think with Israel Adesanya, he'd have a, a size and a weight advantage over, over him with Israel having never fought at 205 in MMA before. With the Reyes fight, I kind of like the idea of John Jones being able to dissect his first performance against Reyes, and he's got such fantastic fight IQ that any errors and, and mistakes he made in the first fight, I think he'd be able to correct in a rematch. And we saw how he did against Gustafsson the second time around. So if that's going to be your case study to say, well, how would you fair against someone who gave you a real run for your money well we saw what he did to Gustafsson the second time around yeah I mean with Ngannou you know he doesn't have a size or weight advantage over him and Ngannou is such a, an imposing figure and like you said he doesn't even need to catch him clean just a, just a, if he just clips him it's lights out it's good night it's it's game over you know and Francis Ngannou right now and it's funny that he did the Mike Tyson podcast just a couple of days ago because he, he is turning into the Mike Tyson. He probably is uh, the best example of a Mike Tyson figure uh, in our sport at heavyweight, especially on this recent run. Because while he was doing the business in his first run up until he fought Steve Miocic, there's something that's changed. And I think he's finally putting everything together. Um, I feel like his composure, his strength and conditioning is better. And even though... The way he approached Rosenstreet before the knockout was pretty wild in terms of him just throwing haymakers. I'd like to give him some credit with with regards to how I think he would approach the John Jones fight. I don't think he'd be a wild berserker uh, by any means. So it's interesting though. It's given us a lot to talk about because I don't think the next UFC event is going to be until May 30th. That's the uh, the date that the UFC have targeted, although there isn't a, a location uh, det- um, set just um, at this minute. So in the in the interim, it's definitely got the the MMA community buzzing for a for a potential fight between John Jones and Francis Ngannou. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, we're in that kind of rebuilding stage now. We know we got fights back. We're almost in fantasy fight booking territory now. Normally, what happens is you're going week to week. And the fights almost booked themselves in in a lot of senses, you know, especially at the at the highest level. You've got people on certain career trajectories, and you know they they sort of naturally come together, and the fights kind of book themselves. We've had a bit of time off, and and now we're you know we sort of take a look at the lightweight division as an example. I mean, Khabib Nurmagomedov, who knows when he's going to fight right now? I mean, he's going through absolutely horrific times right now back home in in Russia I understand he's he's, uh, his father uh, Manap is back in a coma again and he's on life support right now so um, sending sending all our best wishes to to Khabib and his family over there in in, in Dagestan Um, 
hopefully he will be he will be back at some point this year to defend his belt against Justin Gaethje. That fight is pretty much set. I mean, you know, champion versus interim champion. We kind of know uh, that that's the next fight to make. But the lightweight division is one of the most exciting divisions in the UFC. And you can make matches all over the place. I've noted some matchups down. I'm sure you've got a few in mind as well. If we're going to give this division a kickstart, what, what matches do you want to see? To Obviously, we know we've got a championship match there. But what about the guys underneath to sort of build build up build up the momentum again for everybody over the next few events. What fights would you know do you want to see in this 155 pound division? Well the one that's screaming to me at the moment and the one that I feel's got a little bit of momentum just due to some recent social media activity is Conor McGregor Nate Diaz, the trilogy fight. I feel as though and, and again whether it takes place at lightweight, whether it takes place um, at welterweight I'd like it to take place at 155 because I think that's where both guys are at their absolute best um, and also then you've got like a, a logical path to actually go for a title um, especially if Conor McGregor were, were to win that fight but when you look at Justin Gaethje winning the interim title that's your ticket that is your ticket for the undisputed championship against Khabib Nurmagomedov now again like you mentioned with Khabib's um, you know, situation with his with his old man going through what he's going through. Who knows if he's going to be fighting anytime soon? You know, I, I saw that him potentially coming back in July was something that was tabled by UFC president Dana White. But this is a you know a, a developing story with his father and and his and his health and and his physical condition and, and hopefully he you know he pulls through this okay. And and from what I've read, it's not just his father; it's other members of of his of his. Um, Family, friends, his circle of and his network of friends and family over there. There's been multiple people that have contracted COVID nineteen. Twenty, obviously. Yes, that's an insane number. Um, and and I've seen you know the numbers have been spiking in Russia anyway. Um, so the fact that twenty or twenty people close to him are have tested positive, that's that's not that surprising, but still very very shocking to say the least. So. Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz, that's got to happen. Now, Tony Ferguson, he is Wolverine Simon. So he he didn't need to have surgery to 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 get his uh, orbital fracture sorted out. So let's see how quickly he comes back. But I still think even if he's healing naturally, he's going to be out for a minute. Um, I, I do like the idea of him potentially fighting Dustin Poirier at some point down the road. I, I would love to see those two match up. Um, and with, with Justin Gaethje, man, like... I think you have to hold out. Even if Khabib's going to be out for a while, maybe September, October, end of the year, the opportunity f- to fight, not only for the undisputed light- lightweight championship, but also to have a crack at undefeated all-time great in Khabib, those opportunities don't grow on trees. Because, And, and also, it's not as if he wouldn't get paid really well against Khabib because he's now holding a title, so he's getting, he's getting pay-per-view points. It's not going to be Conor McGregor money, but Khabib is still a very much a big draw in this sport. But you beat Khabib, you're going to get the Conor fight anyway, right? So I think with Justin, you have to hold hold tight. Just, just bide your time. If you're able to fight Khabib sooner rather than later, great. If it's later, so be it. And then in the meantime, I think with Conor and Nate, you finish the trilogy because... 
I don't want to see them do this in three or four years as some sort of novelty fight. Like, they're both still very much in their prime. There's a story to be told there. It's one and one. It's And, and also, it's a very winnable fight for Conor McGregor. And I think if, the, if you're the UFC, that is your golden goose. You want to keep putting him in situations where he can win fights or you or you think the likelihood of him winning fight is very very high and against Nate Diaz the probability of him winning would be high and then also you can legitimately say okay look he's come back he's won two fights once against uh, Cowboy once against Nate now we can put him into a title fight rather than fast track him which would just have people in, in uproar kind of talking about the legitimacy of rankings and being able to actually earn your way to a title fight again so those are some fights that I'd like to see. What about you, Sai? I've actually put five fights together here. Uh, oh, here we go. All right. I've, I've put five fights together. Now, these are fights that I would like to see. These aren't necessarily fights that I think will happen because there's at least one that's going to jump off the page and some people are going to listen to this and go, what is he talking about? But bear with me. I'll, the Khabib Gaethje fight is a given, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll bet without that. Uh, we'll start towards the sort of lower end of the, lower end of the rankings. Uh, Diego Ferreira and Charles Oliveira need to fight. I want to see those two against each other. Oliveira's on a seven-fight win streak. Ferreira is in the best form of his career. He's on a six-fight win streak. They're both fighters that no one else really wants to fight, so they should fight each other. Um, One of them will have a significant win streak and can then catapult themselves up the division. So I'd match those two. Islam Makachev and Kevin Lee have been talking about fighting for the last two years, as far as I can make out. And yet they haven't. So put those two together. Um, I think that's an interesting fight. I know Kevin Lee moved up to 170 and he seemed quite happy up there, but things haven't haven't quite gone uh, his way. So maybe he's coming back down to 55. Um, he had that massive, massive knockout of Gregor Gillespie last year. I'm sure people remember that. One of the best head kicks we've seen in a long time. Um, and there seems to be a little bit of beef between Lee and Makachev. So uh, book that one. We'll have that one. Here's the controversial one. Conor McGregor against Paul Felder. Now, the reason why I'm going Conor McGregor and Paul Felder is I don't think Nate Diaz is ever fighting at 155 again. I just I just can't see it. I don't think I don't think he needs to cut down. I don't think championship belts are that are put important to him. And the only reason for him to go back to 55 really is if he's going for a belt. He'll fight at 70 if he fights again, or maybe 65 at some sort of weird catch weight if the UFC ever lets people fight at 65. So if he fights if, if he fights Connor, it'll be at 70. So if we bet without that, because we're talking 155 division, Paul Felder versus Conor McGregor, I think, would be a very, 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 inter- very interesting, entertaining fight. Felder doesn't, doesn't get knocked over easily. Um, he's as tough as they come. He will stand and throw leather with, with you until the last bell. He, he has no problem at all. Um, he's been in there with the likes of Barboza and has taken untold punishment and kept on going. He's been in there with Dan Hooker and has taken untold punishment and kept on going. That's the sort of fight where it could bring the best out of Conor McGregor. And I think you would get to see the best of Conor McGregor as a striker because that would just be a pure stand-up war. And I think it would be a phenomenal fight. Um, Felder may not be the big box office uh, opponent that someone like Nate Diaz might be but if you're talking about people who put on entertaining exciting fights Paul Felder's uh, body of work stands up against anybody you can think of at 155 he's outstanding and he deserves a big fight 
and uh, they don't get much bigger than Connor. So why not put uh, the Irish dragon against the King of Ireland? Make it happen. Also, Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker is one of my favourite guys to watch at 55. Dustin Poirier is always there or thereabouts. He needs a win after bounce, after losing to Khabib last time. So he's going to need to face someone a little bit lower than himself, get a win and get himself back up there. Dan Hooker, for me, is the perfect opponent. He's on a three-fight win streak. He's beaten uh, James Vick, Al Quinta, and Felder. And... Uh, I think he's in he's in a position now where if he can knock over someone like Dustin Poirier, he's a legit contender. So um, for me, that's an interesting fight. So those fights that I've mentioned there are specifically with a view to getting the division started again. Someone who I haven't matched but I really want to see get a big fight is Drew Dober. Uh, Drew Dober had an outstanding performance um, during the week. Um against uh, Alexander Hernandez, who is ranked or was ranked 15th. I don't know if he still is. Um, Dober should hopefully take his place in the rankings. Then he's looking up. Maybe someone like, uh, just quickly thinking about the the ranking, someone like Al Quinta maybe um, is sort of in the mix, but isn't really getting getting any kind of matchup. So maybe Dober versus Quinta could be a lot of fun as well. Both of those guys like to stand and trade. Um, that would be a fun fight. So we'll, we'll we'll chuck that one in the mix as well. But they're the ones I would go for just to get the division up and running. And uh, But I think if, if Conor faces Diaz, it'll probably be outside of the division. Um, let's not f- forget, he's only fought twice at 55 as well, Sandu. He fought against Alvarez, won the belt. He fought against Khabib, didn't win the belt. Um, will he fight a contender at 55 to get himself into position or is he just going to move himself around and wait for his shot we will have to see I suspect probably the latter the only reason I think Diaz and McGregor would fight at 155 is that was kind of like the parting shot after McGregor beat Diaz in his post-fight press conference he essentially said and this kind of has uh, stayed in my memory that the next time and the final time that they fight would be at 155 the only reason McGregor gave him the rematch at 170 he was so hell-bent on essentially giving you know having uh, the rematch um, with with Diaz second time round be exactly what Diaz asked for the first time the same circumstances the same weight class but I do remember Connor s- you know, specifically saying the next time and the final time they fight it would be at his weight class which is 155 although having said that um, I wouldn't mind Poirier versus Diaz either they were booked to fight not too long ago and that fight never materialised and I think that would be a great fight uh, on paper anyway so and I know that Poirier's mentioned Diaz a few times as well on social media and so he's chirped up about that fight as well whether he gets it who knows I'll tell you what though Simon while we've been recording it has come to my attention that we do have a main event booked for the the yet uh, to be determined location for the UFC's return on Saturday May 30th you got Tyron Woodley versus Gilbert Burns in the main event at welterweight and I just feel for Leon Edwards right now because he was poised to take on Tyron Woodley in the main event of UFC London a couple of months ago. A win over Woodley in a main event of that particular fight night card and that would have been your ticket to go for the title next. So first of all, great fight. Don't get me wrong. Woodley versus Burns, sign me up. That's going to be a cracker, especially with the, the run that Burns is on right now. 
But where, do, where does Leon Edwards go from here? Who do you match him up against? Do you just wait to see what the result of this fight is? And and, and if it's Woodley, do you still book the Woodley fight again? Or what, what do you, where do you go? What do you do if you're Leon Edwards right now, Simon? Leon Edwards is kind of like the odd man out. He's on the outside looking in and it's completely circumstantial. That, that that he's in that position, you know, he should be facing Tyron Woodley. I think he would have beaten Tyron Woodley, especially with the fight being originally booked for London. I think he would have won that fight. I genuinely believe that. Um, and then he's knocking on the door of a of a of a, of a of a title shot. But because of the pandemic, he can't travel to the states, so that rules him out of any fight against an American athlete at this point. So he's basically Leon Edwards cannot wait for Fight Island to come quick enough because once Fight Island's up and running the door is then open to get people in and out presumably um, and then uh, they can start hosting international fights I'm looking down the list in, in the uh, the World's Away rankings there's no one within within shooting distance of Leon Edwards who isn't based in, in, in North America or Brazil so it really it really makes makes him the odd man out and I feel for him massively because he has always been that odd man out he's not been he's always been the unfashionable opponent he's the guy that no one wants to face um Kamara Usman was exactly the same uh until he got the belt now they have to face him and uh oddly enough Leon Edwards and Kamara Usman is the one fight in that division that has a backstory to it and uh, it's just circumstances getting in Leon's way. And I, I really do feel for him. And, and I hope that he can get matched up with someone soon. Um, looking at it, if Woodley's taken up, we don't know what Colby's going to be doing next. Masvidal is likely to be challenging for the belt. Would Leon end up matched up with Col- Colby? Because um, if he isn't, he's then having to fight someone ranked beneath him, which is going to do absolutely nothing for his for his stock. So... He's in a really tricky position. The best thing he can do is to... Well, he needs to get back into action somehow. I don't quite know how this is going to happen until Fight Island happens. The best thing for him, though, would to end up uh, on the same card as Kamaru Usman somehow um, and uh, at least get himself on the same timeline. And then if there's an issue with with weight cuts and things like that, he might get a last-minute opportunity to step in. But I'm, I'm looking at these rankings and... There's not a lot there for him. I've got to be honest. There really isn't. Um, he's going to end up. He's going to end up having to fight someone ranked below him, and that's a fight with big risk and very little reward. So I'm gutted for him right now because he should be facing Tyron Woodley, and I'm I'm really disappointed that that they haven't looked to make that um, as maybe the first main event on on Fight Island. Yeah, this Fight Island situation. It's intriguing because. We haven't really had any concrete news from the UFC at all about this. It's it's a lot of kind of like yes, it's coming, and we're we've secured an island, but no real hardcore concrete information. And and I feel for for guys like Leon Edwards, you know, Darren Till was supposed to fight Robert Whittaker in in August. You've got the biggest star in the sport in Ireland who's also waiting for Fight Island, right? So you've got all these British and and Irish and European fighters and some of the biggest names, some of the biggest draws in the sport that are all waiting for this island to be available so that they can actually get booked for fights because of the travel restrictions. And at the moment, the UFC is limited to picking and choosing the guys that they have available to them within the US. And fortunately for them, 
there's a lot of big camps. There's ATT, there's Jackson Wink, and and tons in between that are able to have fighters available to them. It'll be interesting to see what happens because you know Conor McGregor has come out and said, "Hey, look, I've seen what the UFC product looks like. He's seen the protocols, and he is well up for fighting on Fight Island, but." Whether that is an actual thing. I mean, the UFC have printed t-shirts, Simon. There's actual merchandise that they're selling on the UFC store with Fight Island uh, all over it. So let's see what happens. I'd, I'd love it, though. I'd love for this island to be a reality, not just from the optics and from the visual of what that would look like, but to actually give some of these guys around the world, guys and girls, uh, an opportunity to fight. Yeah, I, just, I find it hard to visualize. I mean, I can only imagine it's in the Caribbean. That's the only place where I can imagine it being that where people can get in and out. It's a small enough it's a small enough place where they can hold it, um, but also the climate is is such that it's it's relatively consistent. Um, but yeah, and it's also outside of US jurisdiction as well, which it, it would need to be. So yeah, I just don't know. I just don't know. Maybe that's the blessing in disguise. I mean, Leon Edwards was born in Jamaica, right? So. Uh, who knows? Maybe this Fight Island thing could be right. It could be like a, a second homecoming for him, and he could be the main event. Um, who you know, kick, kicking this thing off against, you know, I don't know. Maybe he fights Colby or someone, and uh, he ends up with the whole of the Caribbean sort of uh, looking to chase Colby off the island. I don't know, but it's it's a weird situation, and as it stands right now, it absolutely sucks if you're Leonard was I'm gutted for him. Yeah, from all the information we know, it looks like either the apex in Vegas or perhaps a location in Arizona seems to be where the UFC are headed next. Uh, and if all else fails, they can always go back to Jacksonville, which we know um, is tried and trust, you know, tested and proven um, location for them to hold events. But um, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, we've got a couple of weeks now until the next UFC event, so uh, by the time we we get up back on the blower again next week, Simon, I'm sure we'll have some new information and updates for all the listeners. But until then, what we need the listeners to do is get on the list, and that is at thebritpack.substack.com. Uh, as we've mentioned in previous weeks, we really want you guys to sign up on our Substack website. That's where... We're going to really grow the podcast, grow the show, and start to engage with you guys there. If you want to follow us on social media, it's at the Britpack MMA on Twitter. Simon is at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. I am at Sandu MMA across the board on all social media channels. And for those of you that are listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor, leave us a rating, leave us a review. That is how the Apple platform uh, really helps us grow is when listeners leave a review and leave a rating. So that would be much appreciated. And if you do, we'll uh, perhaps shout you out on the show and, and read your review out in future episodes. Awesome. Great stuff. Thanks to Sandu, as always, for joining me. It's always good catching up as well. It's kind of We have a little catch up just before we go live and then uh, we just start talking fights. It's great. And uh, as Sandu says, we've got about a week or so before we probably start to run up to the next show. It looks like the uh, the 30th of May is going to be our next one. So uh, hopefully we will have more of a fight card to pick over on, on next week's show. That would be good. And uh, if you've got any questions for the show, then hit us up on social media at any of those any of those handles that you just heard and uh, maybe we'll drop a few questions in 
on next week's show. That's pretty much all we've got for you on the Brit Pack this week. Go on the BritPack.substack.com and sign up. Give us a follow on social media. And uh, stay safe out there. And we'll speak to you in a week's time. Yeah.